But you know, there's a bunch of stories we could tell tonight, so I might as well take this opportunity to tell them. Um, I got this tape uh, to a friend called Jack Irons, and then... Uh, I, And, uh, hey, does someone have a cigarette? And, uh, I was working midnight shifts and had a fair amount of time on my hands. Thanks, Mike. And, uh, so I just put together some songs on a four track, three songs or four, and then sent them off. And, uh, Jeff and Stone heard them. Now, actually, what's interesting is on this tape that was just a music tape, uh, it was uh, Jeff and Stone and Matt Cameron on that tape as well. So. And he was in Soundgarden at the time, but... Uh, so uh, Matt was there at the beginning too. And the only reason I say this, so I sent this, this tape got sent up there and it had vocals, and I think there was three songs on there. It was uh, uh, Once Alive and Footsteps for these two songs. It was like one prolific period of two hours. That it's lucky that I sat down and worked on it because it changed the next decade of, and all of the rest of my life. But really, this, this, I'm only saying all this stuff not to talk about anything except for the fact, I just want to thank Stone and Jeff for realizing a great talent when they heard him. Did he just really say that? And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. And guess what? It's happy 30th anniversary week. This is the 21st of October that this episode comes out on. And tomorrow is going to be the 30th anniversary of Pearl Jam's first ever show at the off-ramp. So to celebrate today, we are going to cover one of the most favorite shows in the Pearl Jam catalog. And that's Vegas 2000, the night where it was their 10th anniversary. 
There's a lot to talk about with this one, and there's a lot to get to, so we won't waste any time. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello. And not only that, but we are joined today by our podcast brethren, Brandon Palomo from the Better Band Podcast. Welcome back to Live on Four Legs, sir. Yeah, woo We did it. All we right. did it, everyone. We did it. Oh, yeah. Happy Is that your replacement for your sound you. No, no, we're singing Happy Birthday to Pearl Jam. Happy birthday. It's, it's a public domain now. We can sing it. Happy birthday to you. I'm coming in hot, everybody. So uh, the reason why we invited you on, Brandon, is because uh, you were at this show right in your backyard over there. So, you know, we were talking, you actually, you joined us for, we did a little forum with uh, some of the uh, some of the listeners, and uh, you were telling us about your trip that you, that you went on, uh, for this tour. So, uh, why don't you go over and just like, tell us exactly what was happening during that time in 2000. Got the thing from 10 club saying, Hey, everybody, we're doing this tour. I was like, Oh, sweet. Let me look at the dates here. Okay. There's uh Vegas, San Diego, Fresno, uh, San Bernardino and San Francisco or Mountain View. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Let's do those shows. So me and my buddy, Harry, Harry Geyer, talked about him, I don't know, before on this podcast, but uh, you might have heard of him on my uh, podcast that I'm not going to plug right now because I respect you two. So, <laughs> so anyway. Um, and it's okay. Plug away because when do we not plug anything? Yeah, you're right. We're all friends here. It's the Better Band Podcast. I've talked to Harry a couple episodes along with these two guys. Yay, we love each other. So anyway, looking at this date, it's like, okay, there's 10 days of California shows. There's uh, there's four shows in 10 days that uh, I can conceivably drive to and everything. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's get tickets for Vegas, San Diego, San Bernardino, Mountain View slash San Francisco. And then they have like little question marks like, oh, there might be another show here on this date. Anyway, they announce L.A., Sacramento and Fresno in between those dates. So we would have had like an awesome string of shows, but we got some days off in between, you know, we sleep in car, we sleep in our car, whatever, maybe stay over at a friend's house. I had just turned 21 the summer before this. So this is my first year being 21. We're going to Vegas, baby. Hell yeah. So we drive down to Vegas. Uh, Vegas, if you don't know, is in Nevada. It is, however, an eight-hour drive away from Reno. Yeah, that's not fun. But anyway, we end up driving. I wrote, I kept a journal during that time so that I could remember all these shows and stuff because it's like, oh, this we're this is either going to be super cool or it's going to be a horrible, horrible mistake. And so I'm writing it down, and I just found it last week, so I'm reading through it again. And boy, was I miserable. If I didn't know me, I would hate me. <laughs> I'm so, such an asshole. So are you going to share some of, uh, of your misery or? Oh, no. So no, no, I'll share. You know, it's no, no. Yeah, totally. I mean, I talk about this stuff on, on, on my show and everything like that. But, you know, just really, really depressed and had been for a long, long time and didn't do anything about it. So I am also ha- I also have walking pneumonia. At that time, too. You can mark that off in your little uh, bingo cards there. So, I have 
prescription codeine cough syrup. And I'm like, you know what'll go good with this? Alcohol. But I didn't drink on the day of the show. I drink afterwards, and I wrote in my little journal thing, I wrote, um, this, there are things about this show that I'm never going to forget. And guess what? I didn't write down anything about that show, and I forgot all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is Pearl Jam's 10th anniversary show. Everybody that's there knows there's this energy from everybody in the audience yeah any, anyway like the the whole you know tr try to trace back your memory a little bit but like the whole i guess celebration of of 10 years do you do you remember what at least the the you know the vibe was around uh being in vegas like were there a lot of people were there was there excitement and since you went to some of the other shows I think some of those that you mentioned were beforehand. Uh, were there people saying like, "This is this is the one that you know is going to be the big one that we're we're going to absolutely be blown away by"? Uh, there was a lot of you could just feel the energy from everybody. Everybody's like everybody knew. There's there everybody's whispering. They're like, "Oh, this is the tenth anniversary. This tenth anniversary. What are they going to do? Are there going to be surprises? Of course, there's going to be surprises. This is their tenth anniversary. So." LA wasn't announced yet. So I have a feeling that there are some people that went from LA to this show too. You know, there's going to be people coming in from out of town so that they can gamble. Do you but think people were surprised that it ended up being in Las Vegas? Like that seems like kind of the antithesis of what their aesthetic was at the time. Like this big audacious city, you know, it seems like the 10th anniversary would be in a Seattle or a, like a Chicago or something. But yeah, was, was there any of that really like, Vegas that that's where they chose to have it it did kind of well I don't know because Vegas is sort of like a you know like I said like a destination so it's kind of like hey let's go there to party let's go there for bachelor party let's go there to do something and kind of get wild and everything like that Pearl Jam always has this weird sort of relationship with Las Vegas too because they'll go and they'll play some Elvis songs or you know just kind of mess around they the band always sort of seems more energetic and more kind of prone to having fun. It also seems like there are a lot of people there who are just there because they know Jeremy, Better Man, you know, the radio songs and stuff. So there is a sort of energy of, uh, okay, um, album tracks going over people's heads, going up to get beer. Oh, here comes Even Flow, song everybody knows, yeah. It's surprising that a show like that, that when when you think of ten years later when they would do Pearl Jam twenty, you would never like that's more of an event. You'd never get those kind of fans that aren't really Pearl Jam fans to be at that show. So the I guess the decades difference is is massive at this time. I would think. Yeah, that that and also they didn't make a huge deal of it. It wasn't like this is their tenth anniversary. It was just sort of. Oh uh, yeah, it's on the list of uh, shows they're going to play, and you know if you if you notice, it's kind it, of one of those how about how about that kind of things, right? Yeah, yeah. So like if you notice it, then you're like, oh hey, you're kind of in on it. But if you're you know just looking at the tour thing, it's kind of like okay, yeah, cool. I'll just get this show. Oh, Pearl Jam's coming to Vegas. Oh yeah, I'm, I'll go ahead and go to that too. I, I have to I have to kind of bring this up because October has been our politically speaking month. And uh, there's nothing of 
political relevance that happens at this show per se, but around this time, and this is what, same time that we're in now, like two weeks before an election, and Ed is, is at the time, he is campaigning for Ralph Nader at the time. He is doing uh, campaign functions with him. Like there was a Madison Square Garden show in which he played, I believe, The Times They Are Changing and a couple other pretty politically charged songs. And I don't think even in the 90s, I don't think they ever endorsed Bill Clinton. So this is the first time any for anybody from the band is really being out there and actually endorsing a candidate. Talking about Nader, I mean, I voted for Ralph Nader. There was a big push to get because there was there was a thought that he could get five percent and yeah. then get federal funding and then we could really like get a third party going because that was the big push right it was the push for five percent because then you can like start to make some real headway in the mainstream if you get that federal funding you can really you know start to make a push but he ended up not getting it but yeah i mean it was it was really like it was kind of exciting i was like I was the same age as Brandon, like twenty one, twenty two years old. I was like, you know, here's a guy that's that says like it is. He, he's not owned by you know corporate like interest. He's he's the real deal. You know, he he's been an activist since the sixties. You know, if if you, every time you put on a seatbelt in your car, you should thank Ralph Nader. Yeah. Like the man is mm-hmm. he's he's amazing. He's had an amazing career. Well, I think we have to talk about what what these people came for, and that's Stone's hat. <laughs> Who doesn't go anywhere for Stone's hat, especially during this era? 96 through 2000 is, this is like Stone fashion line right here. Like, what are you going to get night in, night out? Are you going to get a white beanie or are you going to get a big 10-gallon hat? And that has to be, I'm sure he found that in a gift shop somewhere and... You know, him and him and Mike or him and Matt were walking around. They were like, "Yeah, fuck it, yeah, let's let's just wear that tonight." And uh, and that's that's what we have. And and he parades around every single song on this night. He is wearing that hat, if you believe it or not. This is on the uh, on the heels of the uh, little stone paper doll thing you you got in the uh, in the fan club newsletter. Where you can cut stone out and dress him up in all these different little uh, other clothes that it came with, and they had a contest. It's like take a picture of the coolest dressed stone, and we'll give you a prize. Man, if, if anybody still has those, email us. Yeah, please do, because that's uh, that is definitely one for for the time capsule right there. No, the full on um, printed out guys. I could take pictures if you'd like. You got some? <laughs> oh yeah, I got them all. I got them all. Well, not all of them, but you know. I still have all my uh, my newsletters. Yeah, let's, let's do a little fashion show. Let, let's <laughs> let's let's post these to our uh, social media account. Let's let's do a little fashion show on these. So, all right, let's let's get into the show now. Uh, this is again tenth anniversary. It's a big deal, at least for the fan standpoint. The band at times will talk it up and 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 make it feel really special, but it does feel like you know the band is is trying to live up to that hype but also downplay it just a little bit and and make it feel like it's not as important as other people may be pushing it off to be. So the show starts out with a little bit of an interstellar overdrive. (laughs) 
there's always something about that intro that feels like whenever it comes up, you remember that Corduroy is attached to it. You remember the versions that have the intro into Corduroy. And, and you know, it doesn't happen. It's only happened like 63 times. So when you think from 98, they, they started playing this in 98, like that's not a whole lot of times that they they could have done this intro uh, compared to how many times that Corduroy's been played overall. So whenever you do get it, whenever it does come up, it does feel like it's one of these special moments that, especially opening the show right out of the gate, they're they're coming out swinging, they're coming out hard. Yeah, this is the first time that I heard Interstellar Overdrive with Corduroy, and the other time, I've only heard it twice, the other time was also in Vegas, so I don't know if there's any connection there or it just happened to be... A coincidence, but I remember it starting as like, "What the hell is this?" I hadn't heard this on a on any uh, bootlegs, I believe yet. Unless, oh wait, no, yeah, yeah, the um, yeah, the only other time I, I would have heard it would be from the European bootlegs, which just come out a couple weeks uh, before then, I believe. For the right, uh, the and tour. I think this is only the tenth time that they had done it. So yeah, like there's not a lot to work off. Of. So yeah, to. to I mean, not a, unless you're a massive, massive Pink Floyd fan, like you don't really have a lot of Pearl Jam people that know what what's happening at this point. I don't yeah, in, in 2000, we, the shows that we've done, we always talk about how Mike had he had he probably had just gone and bought all these new pedals. Uh, the guitar, he's mm-hmm. he's got that spacey 2000 sound going on right from the beginning here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's coming in for a lot of these different songs. And I feel like even spliced into Corduroy, there's more of those spacey noises in there too. Like you, you get them a lot during this show, and uh, and it just kind of it just goes to show you that this is going to be right from the start. This is going to be a Mike McCready show, and it's going to be. A, a big one it's gonna most of these songs have a major feature role of Mike's and he's up for the task and he absolutely nails everything he just erupts from the get-go uh, especially his solo on this again you hear those effects and uh, it's gonna be a big big party night we'll see in just a second in in the following sequence what he's going to do there and uh yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff going on but also ed's changing the lyrics here too we get a little bit uh absolutely everything's changed and and if you hear that live you have to think to yourself like okay right off the gate they know that something this is important to them and they know they're thinking about it absolutely yeah the the middle part of corduroy like right before the solo is it really ramps up like you can feel the energy coming off of them and like the ending part like you said McCready and the solo is fantastic you could you could really tell they they were hyped up for to, to get the show underway
absolutely. Yeah, this, it was a great way to start, and it really kind of leading into the the next section of four songs that are just fast and furious right out the gate. Uh, Breaker Fall, Grievance, Last Exit, Animal. There are four songs that you just, uh, especially beginning of the show, that really ramp you up. I thought Breaker Fall was probably the highlight of all this. It just felt like they they nailed it. <laughs> Especially when you talk about faster versions of songs, sometimes they can lose a little bit and be out of the pocket, but this felt right in the pocket. They felt like they were on the top of their game. And, and reading some things, and I didn't even notice this from listening to it, but apparently Ed was not 100% at this show. He was having a little bit of a, of a head cold. Yeah, I don't think I realized it either when I was there. Like, I mean, especially these first uh, five, six songs. Like it's 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 super high energy. Everybody is in good spirits or like there to have fun. You could like see kind of smiles on their faces. Stone's got that big fucking hat um, and doing his little his little uh, stomp walk thing. They're in like the whole show, and um, yeah, it's I, I think later on listening to this again, I kind of got the feeling that Ed's voice was getting a little tired or that he. Uh, pushed it a little bit too much but but we'll, we'll get to that later on but right now in the beginning I don't think you get any sort of uh, inclination that anything's really going on other than this is awesome we're here to have a good time oh man there's a there's a moment in Grievance right, right before the I think it's right before the stop where he's singing playing guitar and he just kind of like does this like jolt he like thrust down and like really emotes the the lyric there at the end of the thing and it's it's awesome for me uh animal was the one i think that that stood out for me you can tell you can he almost hear the air like explode at the beginning of the song when it starts just uh, fast and furious like there's that half split second before it starts where you almost can hear the whoosh of the air like it was really cool and you know that just goes to show that like two different talking points there on on two different songs like you can pick any of this bunch and be like, wow, this, they freaking nailed it. Like last exit, Mike had another amazing solo on last exit, but uh, you know, it might not be the most talkable Mike point from this show because there's so many good ones. So, uh, but it's such a great way to kick this off and I guess get really, uh, get people really ramped up uh, during this early onset. And uh, after the section, we get Ed kind of addressing the crowd here. Am I looking at a bunch of winners or a bunch of losers? High rollers or gutter punks? Well, uh, put me in with the uh, perpetual losers, but it's amazing. Uh, even losers can get pretty far in life. It's not bad. So we're happy to be here, uh, maybe a little tense because uh, this, there is something going on tonight, even uh, in our heads. And uh, so we're going to just relax, I think I'm going to try to settle down a bit and just realize that uh, no matter how poorly we played, we probably played uh, more poorly 10 years ago on the first night. 
Again, he's downplaying the importance of the 10 years, but it's still uh, it's still definitely important to them. I mean, that falls right up into just a section that just screams McCready. These are all McCready, McCready, McCready songs. Dissident, Nothing As It Seems, Given a Fly. And, you know, I think, John, you say it a lot, that when you want a show to really ramp up and you want people to get excited, you need Mike's presence to be in the forefront. Dissident, I thought, is, you know, Dissident is not one of my favorite songs. Like, it's not something I go back to a lot, but this this version absolutely kicked my ass. versions of Dissident I've heard in a long time. Stone's guitar sounds perfect. McCready's carrying the song like up at that high level where it really soars. This is, I mean, this is a highlight. Dissident, I I don't think I've ever said that on this show before, but yeah, for me... You haven't. <laughs> I know, yeah, this is one of the best Dissidents I've ever heard. You know, this is one that, that really took off, and you, you mentioned McCready. He's, he's playing like way above the song, and he just gives it like this kind of ethereal quality, and it was, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, Dissident is something that I, I think it was thrown in there just because it's sort of a popular radio song and stuff like that, because that's kind of who they're playing to a little bit in this crowd. But when you get some distance on the song and you're not listening to it all the time and you come back and you kind of listen to it and you think about it and you kind of look out around the world and the, you kind of see, he's like, you know what? I could definitely see people trying to run away and hide in this sort of political climate like as dissidents and kind of gives a new sort of uh weight to it that uh that it maybe didn't have in 93 sure yeah that's an interesting thought that i never that never even passed my mind that i thought you were going to go in a different direction because we've actually probably in the last couple months we haven't really had a show with dissident so we haven't had this time to really elaborate on it and to me it's it's kind of refinding a an old track and kind of rediscovering a love for it and uh you know i i don't think that i've ever really said something like that about dissident where i really thought it was a highlight of a show i I think it's good and i think you know sometimes when Ed doesn't stick the landing, it kind of is, it, it loses me a little bit, but I, I, I thought that this was a tremendous version as well. You can't really go wrong with it at all, but that's what happens when you, the, the song kind of, you know, fades out of your 
repertoire for a while and comes back in, you kind of, you feel that fuzzy feeling for it again, but, uh, can't discount what he's doing on nothing as it seems and given a fly to given a fly is paced out so perfectly has that beautiful build to it. And, uh, it, it really gets you going, especially after nothing as it seems, which feels like it's really the section that Mike just takes over and, uh, the whole band coming in on, on given a fly, making that feel special with, with Matt and everything that, you know, the section is just great. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, this is probably uh, considered a good pl- good pace for Given the Fly because it's not, uh, you know, it's not the original one. It's not the one that people think is too fast nowadays. But, you know, once you get into the, uh, you know, the main chorus where everybody comes in and Given the Fly, it's like, you gotta speed up just a little bit because everybody's coming in. Everybody's playing a little bit louder. It's hard to kind of hold back and keep that a little bit slower you just can't help it but it's not uh and you want the jumpers yeah you want the jumpers the people pogoing that that that's a pogo song yeah well this is just a couple of weeks after the st louis version with the interpreter right too so they were mm-hmm. probably right. still feeling a high off of it yeah that's a good point and with uh with with nothing as it seems for for the guitar nerds out there this is uh mike probably has the uh, line 6 dl4 uh delay modeler at the time, which uh, allows you to save three different uh, delays in there, so that's where he gets all the uh, crazy sounds going in there. Rest in rest in peace, delay modulator. Well, no, because you sure. can still get them now; they're still out there. I don't think this is the pedal that broke. This isn't the pedal. Oh, okay. See, we were trying to actually put together the timeline of when the pedal did break, compared to you know versions that where it sounds like he has it, and versions where. Uh, you know, it sounds like there's less of a, an effect than yeah. there was. Maybe maybe he lost the setting that he had because, like, you can program it in. It's like, okay, I got the knob set where I want, and I'm going to hold the button down, and that's going to yeah, save the settings. And then, because if it crapped out, they're digital pedals, so they're all of them are going to sound the same, you know, no matter how many you have, unless he had this one modded in a different way or something. Yeah, I'm not sure the story. The story I've already always read was uh, that one day it broke and and either he couldn't find it, couldn't fix it, and uh, it, it never got to be what it once was on this tour. Yeah, because so I, I'm 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 not I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think he had a Fender Blender that broke. Um, I'm not sure if that's the one that gave this song that sound, but I could see that being something that you can't replace and uh, have a new version of. I got a quote here. Yeah. McCready told Guitar World, says it, it gave me a chance to really stretch out as a player. I'm using this crazy giant Fender pedal on the song, which is supplying all of the wild, swirling, distorted sounds. It sounds like a plane going down. I have no idea what the pedal is called. There's one picture on the cover oh, okay. of a Sonic Youth album. Even the guys at Fender don't even know what it is. But if anyone out there has hmm. one, please sell it to me. That pedal is believed <laughs> to be a Fender Blender, a vintage octave fuzz pedal that when paired with McCready's Boss DM3 delay pedal, created the whirling chaos heard in his lead's dramatic sonic assault. It is the sound that creates all the tension and fireworks against an otherwise slow and gentle groove. Hmm. Yeah, so that all right. Yeah, that Boss pedal is... Um, a vintage one that uh, he would have been using on the recording for binaural uh, because the line six one didn't come out um, until after the album was already out. And the, uh, the boss one has a uh, stereo out. So that's how you can get the other speaker plugged in that he has across the room and you can hear the echoes kind of going back and forth. 
but he was to use the uh, the Line 6 Live because it's a whole lot more reliable and uh, can take a little bit more of a beating. You know, I'm glad we had this conversation because we don't get dirty about the guitar talk in this show very often. So to get a little a little bit of the gear in there is a is a nice little is is a nice little thing that I don't have the knowledge about. So if we didn't have you on the show, Brandon, we wouldn't have had this little tidbit of information. So again, little nuggets that get thrown in every every now and again right there. Um I know one or two things. (laughs) So wish list Untitled MFC. I thought this version of Wishlist was really good. We've talked a lot about versions lately, uh, compare, comparing them to what they've turned to, you know, the last decade or so, and how they used to really soar and they used to take a lot of the energy from the room and fill the atmosphere of the room. And, you know, especially Mike's part in this, it's so simple yet effective that it feels like it's filling not just a room of 13,000, but a room of like maybe 100,000. It feels like it's that big. drop out at the end and ed just does that last little part solo it's mm-hmm. yeah they were adding all these like really nice touches to it around this time and it's yeah the the song like just kind of lost something after after this first five or six years yeah it was a really poignant ending like you know just finishes off the last line uh, that he kind of improvs it's the perfect transition into untitled uh, for that intro, and I would assume that this is the first appearance of Untitled at a show that you were at. Um, oh yeah, you know this is this is really this is coming off of the time where they only did it once in '98. It comes on the Live on Two Legs, which is very weird to say. Yes, uh, <laughs> the Live on Two Legs soundtrack. It just becomes a fan favorite instantly, and you know from the next year they realize I think they realize that they have to make this an addition to mfc especially at a show like this where you need meaningful versions of these songs we talked about with corduroy and interstellar overdrive to do an mfc untitled uh back to back right there it makes this feel even more special of a show than uh than already is on paper yeah it sort of is a a testament to just how they jam and improv and you know something that's kind of just and we're fooling around with can be just really dug into by the fans and the people who like it 
And this is also the uh, the version that is on the touring band DVD as well. So if you uh, if you right. watch that, then you've seen uh, this untitled in MFC. Yeah, he changes the lyric too. I think he, he either forgets or loses his place. He says, you know, the don't have to pack no things. He, then he kind of loses it and he goes, oh, we, you lost him already. And there's kind of a little throwaway well, there. Of, because of Vegas, because you gambled right. everything away, and you, right. you already lost everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I love the, like each version of, of Untitled is unique. Like, there's, I don't think there there are two versions of it that are alike. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. You know, every every time they 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 try something different, they either, uh, you know, they keep the jam going on for longer. Ed changes the minutes to twenty three minutes or twenty five minutes, whatever it is. Uh, but they always try to to change it up and be unique. And even M- MFC, a place like Nevada, is the ultimate place to hear MFC. Because when I'm thinking about like open roads and you know, this being an open road kind of song, like I think of like a Nevada desert sort of uh, road that you'd be listening to the song on. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of suburbs and, um, you know, white flight going on. So there's be one town and then suburbs, several suburbs kind of coming off of it, just making these huge, unsightly, untenable pockets of civilization and stuff. And uh and if uh, if you if you're keeping track on the uh, live and four legs gnaw count, I, I, I don't know what your your counter is called or whatever for the na na nas in MC. This is a this is a four. You know, out of all the takeaways that people take away from this show, <laughs> that has become like the number one thing I've noticed because you're mentioning it now. I think somebody, I think Sean mentioned it during our set list draft. I think Bradley mentioned it a couple weeks ago when he, he came on the show. So like this, you know, yeah, I, I've made a, I've made a thing of it. I know, but I didn't realize that it has, I guess, expanded into, you know, everybody's favorite thing to pick off of live on four legs. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Well, we had it in crop duster a couple of weeks ago. It's spreading. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Right. So now we, every time that there's even a hint of a no, 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 I'm, I'm going to get called out for it. I know. Hey, you, you, you can't, you, you can't uh, be in control of what, uh, what's popular sometimes. You, you, of who's knowing where. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just gotta, you just gotta accept it. Little section here before they get into the the hits. Uh, there, I, I think that Stone is having a little bit of technical difficulties because he kind of mentions it at this point. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's about to go into this sort of history lesson on the band, but uh, I guess he's sort of forced to. Um, and he talks about it just being ten years, and and you know takes a swig of the wine and tells the story of the off ramp. Uh, ten years ago, it was a little place called the Off Ramp. It was about 200 people. Actually, it's about the size of this stage. It's actually the size of that place. And uh, it was probably uh, bigger than, than, uh, than I deserved a place to be playing. But um, I could have sworn that Stone had this same guitar problem that night. I remember this same uncomfortable pause. So, sectioning here, Even Flow, Jeremy, and Significance, uh, they're really bunching album songs together, because before we get these two from 10, we got 
three from Yield back to back in um, Given Fly Wish List and uh, MFC. And even if you want to go before that, they did uh, the back-to-back binaural songs very early in the show with uh, Breaker Fall and Grievance. So, you know, John, you talk about this a lot where, you know, they're balancing the albums. This is more of basically sectioning album songs. Yeah, it's a little different, but again, very well done. Like, yeah, you talked about, you know, Breaker Fall and Grievance at the beginning, then the little older set with Last Exit Animal Dissident. Then you bring it back with nothing as it seems. Then the yield set. Then you go back to the old stuff. Yeah, it's, he's he's the master of sequencing these things. Yeah, this is also the I think the the one show on the tour where they had the least amount of uh, of binaural songs. They only had what four. This is only four songs. Yeah. That's yeah, and it. everything else is real split up evenly between the uh, between all the other albums. That's kind of crazy. There's nothing like really outside of the, the covers. There's nothing really rare from this show Mm -hmm. like would mankind be considered rare at this time like they're still kind of doing it right yeah but you got to think that's that's a function of the of the crowd as well like they know they're playing las vegas they know a lot of the crowd is is not going to be as familiar with the deep cuts they know it's the 10th anniversary so yeah that's they're they're going to play to the crowd a little bit i think that had something to do with it sure sure yeah of course um and and you know i think that goes back to a lot of people and their expectations for Pearl Jam 22 and, and how, at least on that show, they were able to mix in some of those hits with like putting together sections of songs that hadn't been heard in ages. So even flow Jeremy and significance in this section, uh, everything sounds really good. Mike, once again, is taking over the showman role and playing so well off of Cameron and even flow. And Matt is that little transition part. Matt's going nuts going back into the chorus after they finish the solo. a nice little touch and we talked about that before where it's kind of like the prelude to them giving Matt the reins uh for a solo i think that started in in about 2005 2006 time so like that those are little little hints when when it comes to even flow yeah right at this part two before they start even flow when they have the uh kind of ed telling the story and everything too um ed mentions he says oh we've only played this song twice and i know so do you think it was just a girl oh i had no idea me and my buddy were there <laughs> me and harry were both like what song is it gonna be what song is it gonna be oh my gosh and you know and it's only after listening to a ton of bootlegs and everything like that where you hear matt start the drum kind of that's you know starting the count off or even flow it's kind of like oh it's even flow where anybody could listen to that now it's like oh they're gonna start even flow and then you know uh stone says no 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 no! wait 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 and his guitar isn't working 
So yeah, we're thinking it's like, oh, what is it going to be? What is it going to be? Is it going to be a brother, just a girl? I don't know. It's going to be something really old and that, that, you know, it's going to be super awesome that we're here to hear it, you know, and then they play even flow. And do we yeah, get, so, are we three for three on the never vote Republicans on this one? I think it was, it was quick, I but I think it. he, I think he threw it in there. It's very fast, but I think we're three for three on the never vote Republican at the end. If we go, go all of October slash first week of November and we get the <laughs> clean sweep there, uh, we're, we're looking pretty good. So right. I'll, hedge, hedge your bets on next week. Yeah. Yeah, it's no pun intended. Uh, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll keep we'll keep that on track for for the rest of the month. That's for sure. The insignificance uh, backing vocals are fantastic as all as always. Jeremy always one that the crowd is going to respond to. Especially you mentioned before, Brandon, that you know you have those people there that are going to be the Jeremy people. So mm-hmm. like an, another section that's just eliciting so much energy from this crowd. I think Ed is putting a lot into this section right here, and this is where I think he kind of uh, he kind of is wearing himself out. But yeah, Ed uh, mm. Mike on Even Flow is just owning it all over the place. He's got a lot of whammy bar going in on his solo, and he this is also the period where he kind of ends the the uh, the bridge section with the uh, kind of part at the end. Uh, before everybody comes back in it got really quiet and almost kind of pretty for a minute there at the end it was nice yeah yeah <laughs> I, i'm always reminded of like carlos santana when he plays that I feel yeah, like yeah it's kind of like a black magic woman kind of thing section to finish off the first main set here uh better man and the lucan in the rearview mirror uh better man you know i think we talked about it last week that it was just sort of a it was it was a blah version it didn't really elicit that energy that a song of this caliber is supposed to give to the crowd it was just kind of you know run of the mill but this feels like the arena energy it feels it feels like they're up for it they're playing back and forth to the crowd letting them sing uh and it has that punch it doesn't have a save it for later tag which uh you know you would think in a big show like this that it would it would pop in but it's still it's i I thought this was a fantastic version uh lucan is lucan and you can really tell that he's um he's not 100 percent with the voice in lucan and he does not give a shit which is par for the course and then you know i'll i'll leave that be before we really start the rearview mirror conversation yeah i wonder if they if they were make maybe a little afraid to do a lot of call and response at this show like on better man because they weren't 100 percent sure about the crowd you know because a lot of reviews you read like yeah it was lukewarm like people were into it but they weren't like going crazy like you think they would like it it wasn't like a hometown show or anything that didn't have that kind of feeling but yeah i just i just wonder if that was a a on the fly decision like a spur of the moment thing like let's just just play this straight and then and then move on however you know rearview mirror What more can we ever say about versions of Rearview Mirror that we're more and more impressed by as, as we go along? This is another version that just 
exceeds expectations from the last one that we covered. Uh, you know, the bridge is, is Matt just keeping up this really thunderous pace, Stone playing towards that sort of open road atmospheric sort of beetle sound. Mike is throwing in those spacey sound effects again, and it's just they never let up on it. You know, sometimes where they kind of op- they kind of open it up and it gives itself some air and energy, like this is just pile driving straight through and uh you know right into where the transition happens and uh it it feels like it builds perfectly into the final screen for it too like everything feels really good yeah this is also i don't know if it's something that's happening in this era or something that just kind of comes up here and there but um ed is playing around with his ebo on the song and he um he starts eboing over a chord like he does in the beginning of Worldwide Suicide, which is how he gets that sound. And I'm wondering if, if, if like, it's something that he kind of was playing around with and, and stumbled into that for that song or something, something he was kind he was of doing like... doing that in Rearview Mirror. Yeah, something yeah, that, that was... Yeah, that was like a 98 through 2000 thing. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of had in his back pocket. He's like, ah, I want to do this for something. It's like, this sounds real cool. I'm, I, I, I got to remember to save this for something later. Did you guys hear... You, you can hear the moment where Mike smashes his guitar at the end of the song, it, it goes like... Yeah. And then he he smashes the guitar. Then he kind of picks up the fretboard. That's just like the one little p. The neck of the guitar is just on pretends its own. to tune it. Pretends that was yeah, a to, perfect does a smash of, of that. Mm-hmm. Like he he gave, he and he gave that to 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 a guy in in, in the crowd. Yeah. And that's like that's a legit full neck of a guitar right there. That's mm-hmm. not just like this little you know this little nub. No, it's it's the whole damn thing. Like so whoever got that. Like they can turn that into they, they can refurbish a guitar with that if they wanted to. They can refurbish another guitar. It's a beautiful guitar that he smashed though, cherry red Stratocaster. But oh, it should be in the what a moment for him to do it. Yeah. Um, okay, we're at the encore right now, so uh, let's do our traditional encore and uh, talk to you guys about our Patreon. And for this week. We are doing something special for Patreon because it is the 30th anniversary of Pearl Jam and their first show. So what are we going to give to you tomorrow, the 22nd, if you're listening to this on the 21st? The 22nd is obviously the day of the 30th anniversary. So we're going to give something to you for the patrons since you guys are nice enough to give something to us. We give back to you. And yes, we are going to do the off-ramp show, the first ever show that Pearl Jam ever played together and we'll talk about sort of the history and how that all came about and came together basically in an instant and uh should be should be fun because it's going to be the like basically the only time we ever talk about just a girl and and get all these early ass versions of songs that that 
sound almost nothing like uh, like what we get today. So should should be interesting. Stay tuned for that. But I, I would like to get a testimonial from you, Brandon, since you are actually I, I, I don't announce that you're a patron uh, because it's it's. You know, I want to announce that you're from the Better Band podcast because that that is a, a more suitable title for you. But you are a patron for us, and we we are so thankful that that you uh, you and so many other people uh, contribute to us. And I, I just want you to share with everybody right now, like what you know are some of the things that that you enjoy about uh, just what we do for for the Patreon people. Yes, I am a patron. I enjoy this podcast. And I said, you know what? I make a podcast too. And I know how important it is to feel like people care. And so I wanted to show these guys that I care. And so I give them a little bit of money. Because, hey, you know what? We talk and we have the, I have them on my show. They have me on their show. I guess we're friends, even though we've never met each other. It's all this internet stuff, and we're bitter, bitter rivals when it comes to podcasting. But we can put that aside oh. when we come together. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, you get you like bonus episodes, and they they talk to you. They say, "Hey, we want to talk to people," and I don't know. You guys are real good guys, and I'm I'm glad that I support you and don't just take advantage of you. Head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs and you get a lot of bonus episodes. You get a lot of opportunity to hang out with other Pearl Jam fans. We'll do trivia nights. We'll do forums. We'll do uh, just extracurricular things, set list drafts. Uh, if you guys are interested in that, we can go off on what is a set list draft at some point in the future. Uh, but yeah, there's so many different things that we do on Patreon, not just extra episodes that kind of gives it the community feel and and uh that's you know also one of the things is uh just like brandon gets to tell his story today you can be that person that comes on our show and tells their story so that's pretty important i know people love talking about their pearl jam stories so if that's all stuff that you like and most importantly that you like us and want to support us and what we're doing because we're you know obviously a a DIY podcast that, you know, doesn't take any corporate sponsorships or sells advertising or anything like that. This is a non monetary, uh, pod podcast. Uh, we, uh, that, you know, we have things that, uh, that we need funded and, uh, and it goes into helping those things and it also goes into stuff like just to give back to the people that do help us out. So, you know, things like for everybody that does join up, we will send you a mask and a sticker. And those are things that the donations do go towards is making masks and stickers. So really it, it kind of is the system where you contribute to us and we contribute back to you. And it just kind of is this give and take sort of, of thing. So everybody, everybody wins in the end, you get to be happy and we get to see you be happy that, which makes us happy. So patreon.com slash live on four legs or head on over to the patreon app which is pretty easy to to utilize and search for live on four legs uh on on that and uh hopefully we'll see you over there it's it's a good community and uh yeah uh we mentioned it every episode and we have the off ramp coming tomorrow so there's lots of lots of stuff on on the way so all right let's get back into the show there's lots of stuff going on because it's a birthday party, so of course 
there are balloons. And um, from reading Five Horizons and uh, Karen's review, it seemed like they wanted to do a little bit more with this. They wanted to hand out party hats and and make a thing of it. But they, you know, from putting it on their site, they knew that it might get back to the band. So they didn't want this surprise to be ruined. So they, I guess what happened was they, they just bought packs and packs of balloons and during the encore break, just passed them around that, uh, the, the pit and, and everybody blew them up in the encore break and threw them at the crowd when they came back on. So that was, that was a cool visual. What, how did, how did that play out when, when you saw it, uh, at the show? I thought it was real cool and it sort of solidified this concept of, uh, people talking to each other and community that surrounds the band, which something, that uh, seemed very unique to me as a solitary, depressed sort of homunculus that uh, didn't feel like they really belonged. But you know, that's what that's what you know drew me to the band, the music, and the sort of the lyrics about that. But it never really occurred to me to try to talk to other people and to you know reach out and say, "Hey, can I belong too?" No, but so the the, the it, it it was really sort of cool. I was like, "Oh man, I." wish that that i would have known something about this or you know be cool but you know i i believe i did get fan club tickets for this show but i think since um this was a pretty sort of notorious show around uh people who were fans and stuff since this was the 10th anniversary you didn't get too good of seats for this so i wasn't even down on the ground at all i was you know up in lower levels but still sort of up away from where all this stuff was happening, but it still it still gives a vibe to the room and feels like you are a part of it, even if you aren't throwing the balloons. No, yeah, balloons. yeah. I think it's cool too because you can kind of tell it kind of changes the the band's attitude when they come back out on stage and see it because there there haven't been many times in their career when they've been surprised by something the fans have done. I mean, you you can go through a few of them, but this is something you know totally fan created and you can almost see the the attitude change in the band when they come out. Cause yeah, like the first set, like we talked about Ed being sick, there were equipment issues. Like maybe things weren't going how as well as they had planned. The, the crowd was and according to some accounts, a little bit lackluster during some of the songs, but this totally changes the, the vibe of the show. I think when they come out and see these balloons there, it's immediately like, Oh, we're we're in a good mood now. Like the, yeah, it, yeah. it lifted it lifted the the spirits of the whole band. I think. Yeah, and and it does feel like this is really the happy birthday moment of the show, and, and sort of transitions into this encore, really feeling like a celebration for the band. You you get a little bit of a happy birthday that's mm-hmm. getting started, and it feels like Stone is nipping that in the butt right away. When he gets right into evolution, it feels like that he knows it's about to come and he's like, all right, the balloons were good, but no happy birthday song. Yeah, Mike's guitar is also kind of messing up a little bit there. In the uh, yeah, in the beginning of it too. Yeah, and I think I think yeah, and I think this too is where Ed kind of I, I, it's probably the excitement of the, you know seeing the balloons and stuff and kind of just like oh you know this is this is cool this is fun 
I'm going to really get into it. And I think Ed, maybe it's in this song, pushes his voice a little bit too much. Because I think in the songs after this, he, he's he got a different sort of feel in it. Or maybe he's feeling a little bit more tired. But it, he, in, in some of these other songs, it doesn't feel like he's he's really giving it his all. He's like, he's not pushing with his diaphragm. He's just sort of kind of just uh, being out with his voice. Yeah, he was struggling. Yeah, sometimes it's it's tough for me to, to, you know, figure out when he is struggling because his struggle for 2000 feels like a normal oh, yeah, 2020, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. So it's, it's tough to recognize the difference between the two. But uh, yeah, as you know, I'm enjoying listening to it. So it doesn't really bother me at all that he's having a rough day and he's he seems to it seems to be getting through it without really butchering anything so it, i'm not bothered by it yeah Evolution it's still good wants... there's, there's just a little a little less energy and a little less oomph in his voice right but evolution and wants good ways to to you know get you excited and and you know kind of get you pumped up out of that main set for something that you have no idea is about to come in just a second. Thanks again, Las Vegas. Uh, we, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't mind attempting something uh, that's even older than uh, than ten years. You know, I was saying all that stuff before uh, about myself, and that was a joke about the talent thing. Cause, but, um, but really, there's other people here tonight that uh, there's a, actually a large assembly of friends that, that came out for this thing. And uh, I just want to say, while we're up here and we have the mic, and it's not, you know, be, wouldn't do it while accepting a Grammy or that but you can do it now because it's us and it's here and it's our show you can thank these people but uh and they know who they are and uh uh, people like kelly who uh you know we slept in his basement and he worked on uh, sacrificed a lot in his life to work for us kelly curtis he's a guy he's a manager so he is classic And uh, people early on at the record company, one who we still uh, talk to, the only one we talk to, uh, her name's Michelle Anthony. She's extremely, extremely special. And uh, Michael Goldstone, who was the first one to work with us. We just need to, I feel the need to say these names, but um, because we love you. And we've had such a life's experience, you know, seeing things that we never thought we'd see and actually seeing a few things we never wanted to see. But all in all, it's uh, the most interesting life, I think, that we've ever led previous to this. But um, uh, I, I was ending with uh, Matt Cameron, who again was in Soundgarden and made records for 10 years and never sucked.
it's been extremely important for him to be uh, part of the group. And uh, Mike McCready, who's been through stuff that no one would believe in order to be with us here today. And so this all leads up to the, the main point. And, and, you know, when you think of 10 years, it's like, really, it's, it's something, I guess in this day and age, uh, it, it means more, but you know, the Ramones were around for 20, 2,300 shows, I know that. And there's very few bands that are still around that, that uh, are, are still relevant. Uh, and who knows, this might be it for us. But anyways, uh, oh, I mean, we'll still write music, I just mean relevant. Uh, it's self-defeating, but... Um, the real thing here is uh, that, that these two guys, uh, Jeff and Stone, have been playing music together for 17 years. He gives both of them a huge hug. And um, you have to go back to a Rolling Stone interview with uh, uh, Cameron Crowe. And he, he's asked about Mother Love Bone. And he's asked if, if he would ever do a Mother Love Bone song. And he said, yeah. I would, and I know exactly what I would do. This is Cameron Crowe talking we, to Eddie. Yeah. I remember reading this article, yeah. And, and this was to- retold in PJ20, and, and we see there's footage of the sound check, and you kind of see this face uh, on stone wh- where it's at least when they're talking about it in the script that Stone's face like just lights up almost as, as if Ed is just telling him, hey, I want to do Crown of Thorns tonight. And you see, like, the just the joy on his face that he even brought something like that up and the emotions that him and Jeff especially must be going through. Yeah, it's kind of a, um, I don't know, an artistic juxtaposition there. Because right before this, they play Once, which is, you know, the first song you're hearing from Pearl Jam if you buy their first album. And so it's sort of like the introduction of of uh, of Pearl Jam at that point. And then you've got the Mother Love Bone album, Apple, and Crown of Thorns is the last song you hear from Mother Love Bone if you're, you know, listening chronologically. So it's it's kind of a, a reverse bookend. It's sort of a prequel to to Once and what's happening here on the stage. It's open opening up the door in this moment for something special. Yeah, and, and also, you know, so so now this is PJ30, and so Jeff and Stone have been playing together for 37 years. That's, yeah, that's a long time to know somebody. I like Brandon's uh, conspiracy theory that, that once is kind of the, was done on purpose to kind of, as the prelude to Crown of Thorns is like a lead up to it. You can even say do the evolution before that is like evolution, well, like, uh, you know, there may be oh, conspiracy theory there. Um, you're pulling it all together. And how come they didn't do whip it? Anyway, no, never know. But uh, <laughs> and I, I also absolutely agree with uh, with something you guys were talking about. And I think that this is absolutely part of the healing process from Roskilde and them trying to move on and acknowledge some things that like they've never been a band that likes to look backwards you know we, we always talk about jeff saying that like you know I, I don't even care about the anniversary like we're we're doing new stuff we let's let's just keep moving forward but i think this was this was absolutely something that that they needed if they were going to keep going as a band do things like this to acknowledge the history and 
and give back to the fans. And it, it it's one of the like we always talk about moments in Pearl Jam shows. Like that's one of the things we highlight on the show. This may be the number one moment at a Pearl Jam show ever. The whole the whole speech. You know, you you talked about the hug. Like there's the the moment of, in soundcheck that's in the PJ twenty. You talked about Stone's reaction when when they they've talked about it ad nauseum, right? It's it's one of the most iconic things that they've ever done on stage. And I mean, how could you not like get emotional when when you hear those that that Stone start playing those chords at the beginning? It's perfect, and Ed sings it perfectly, just like Andy did. Easy. There's even like you know he kind of looks up after the song goes, holds the mic up to up above his head and goes, you know, thanks, Andy. You know, and and this is always this is the beginning of the song being just a special moment. I talked about it when we did the the Patreon forum. You know, I, I got to see this song in in Columbia, South Carolina. They did Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns in 2016, and again, Columbia, South Carolina, like not a destination show for anyone really, but. They come out and do Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, and the Encore. After the song, like, Ed takes a moment to go give Stone a hug. You know, they, they have a little moment. Then he goes over to Jeff. They have a hug. They have a little moment. And, like, he didn't have to do that in 2016 in some podunk town in South Carolina, right? No offense, <laughs> South Carolinians. But it just goes to show, like, they they still – there's still power behind it. And there's they haven't forgotten where they came from. And, like, this is – I mean, this is absolutely, for me, the number one moment at a Pearl Jam show in their history. We're going to try a, a song that they wrote together uh, before, uh, before even me and Mike were around. It's called Crown of Thorns.
this is this is going to be on all three of our our, our top three moments, right? It or, is the or... top three moments. It's the top it's, ten moments. Yeah. I mean, how can how we, can we have to make two different lists? We have to make two different lists just to you know involve the other songs because it's not really fair to equate this with the other ones. You know, not to call them all peons or anything like <laughs> that, but like this is really this is so much more important than just a song being played at a show. This is sort of, this is really a marriage between two bands that didn't quite have a relationship before that they had like, they had similarities and they had some similar components, but they didn't have a relationship until this very moment. You never really got to hear them talk about Andy Wood to or talk about Mother Love Bone at all. And this was the moment that broke all of that, that that it almost broke that curse of maybe not wanting to be reminded of what happened and maybe just wanting to, like you said, look forward instead of looking backward. And from that moment on, it felt like Mother Love Bone became such a significant part of their history instead of just saying, well, Pearl Jam became a band uh, because Stone and Jeff were in another band that didn't work out. Like, it's now... Instead of a footnote. Right, right. It, it, this is... Mother Love Bone is now a significant part of their history where you cannot tell the story of Pearl Jam without telling the story of Mother Love Bone. Ed, during this, seems... He seemed kind of nervous... During it, I think he's maybe got like he had lyrics for it that he was reading off of on the on the ground or something like that. Like he he wanted he wanted to do service to this song and and in later performances and stuff. When you listen to it, he he's got a whole lot more of his own sort of um, his own style and his own take on it. This one I think was a, was a little bit more reserved, like him trying to make sure that he's getting it right in order to to honor. Andy's memory you know he didn't he didn't want to mess it up for everybody yeah and and I you do feel those nerves in the beginning and you know you get even in the very beginning you get a little bit of that Chloe dancer real quick you hear just you know a little bit of the piano part in Chloe dancer which is being done by Brennan O'Brien of course the sixth man and really it's kind of when Everything is pulled together where they do that, you know, that breakdown section before going into that final chorus. And that, when you see it in Ed's face, it feels like it really kicks into him where he can kind of, he doesn't have to worry about something like getting the lyrics right or doing right by the song. He's he's starting to feel the energy of the song go through his body and his soul. And that's where it really erupts and becomes special and becomes like John said, the moment at any Pearl Jam show. That's the thing too. I mean, we, how else can you follow up that up with, with just a perfect soaring, searing version of black? Like it's, it's a perfect combo. Like there's no other song that could have followed crown of thorns. I think. Uh, Yeah. I, I thought that when listening to the two back to back that you couldn't go into something like, I don't know, a go or, or something, you know, that gets the crowd back to being excited. They, they, there has to be a come down period, and really, it's it's these four songs in a row from Crown of Thorns into Black into Can't Help Falling in Love, to, in, into Elderly Woman that feel like it's sort of 
those catching three are the catching your breath from how emotional Crown of Thorns was. Because even Can't Help Falling in Love is another massively emotional moment because that's a song that hits a lot of people in a really, you know, emotional way. Like, that that's a song. That that was my wife's walk-down music at our wedding. That That's what she walked to... Uh, down the aisle to like that's that's emotional for me and and that's a very common thing for everybody everybody knows that song and it's you know to hear ed's rendition of it and hear to hear them do it it feels like it's just another moment that can make you crack up at a show and make you just just lose it also the other as far as i can't help falling in love the other uh fan club song off of the uh the 2000 uh, fan club single that we got yeah and uh, you know i i think it was it was perfectly done and you know you kind of and it's it's kind of you bring back the fun after all that when elderly woman finishes up mankind is the one that makes it feel fun but uh like all of these songs together in a row make it feel like it's even bigger than just a celebration of the band it's like it's just a celebration of just how music brings brings people together we talk about that so much and how important that is especially right now with all the shit that we're going through like this is this is for that moment in the year 2000 this this is the ultimate moment for that Black was fantastic, and and Mike is the MVP of this whole entire night, and he's uh, he's making highlights out of out of every single song. And when Ed is holding that last note in Black, like that's just right there that that that's picking the crowd up. You can hear them elevate and get louder and louder as Ed keeps going longer and longer. That's one of the the amazing things that you get from that. And then uh, it's basically an OTOTO. I can't help falling in love. Uh, they played it in Memphis earlier that year and this was the last time they'd do it. And, and from listening to the song, I just like that fifties vibe and I'm listening to it. I'm like, man, this sounds so much like comeback. Yeah. They were going kind of Pearl Jam was kind of going through a, a fifties rock and roll renaissance at this point with, 
Last Kiss and Soldier yep. of Love, and this like Love, they, right? I mean, the, things go differently. They could have tipped over and become a full on doo wop band. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he does feel like a, a crooner in this, like more than he feels like himself. He, he's got that baritone voice to him, like it feels, it feels like they do right by the song, and it's not just like a grunge version of an Elvis Presley song, you know? Because wasn't that the kind of singer his dad was, or? A little bit, yeah. I think hmm. so, yeah. That sounds right. This all goes back to Crown of Thorns and how important that is and just laying the groundwork for everything else that's to come to make this feel like one of the most memorable nights in uh, well, the history of Pearl Jam. Absolutely. Before we move on, we didn't really get Brandon's like reaction from being there. Like, What were you thinking when they started playing it? Yeah, I was just like, it's, it's kind of just a... a speechless moment because it's not really something that is within the realm of possibility at that point you don't think that it's like Mm -hmm. you know they've kind of you know moved on you know even it's like oh i have this old band and i got all these other songs that we don't play so why would we you know play any of these songs ever either and and i mean in 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 the uh in the vegas show before this you know they had the uh the green river reunion too right. so not necessarily follows a pattern because then the other shows after this they didn't really do anything but it's a, it's 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 a magical place you could say i don't know uh, <laughs> well you can get lucky there yeah um okay so let's uh Obviously, we mentioned elderly woman and elderly woman is is good in that section and i think that's like you know, getting the crowd to to participate after a couple of emotional ones. Uh, mankind big, is getting big rock version of Small Town. Sorry, this you always it, mention the arena is. versions. Like it's it's got the big rock ending, and it it felt like a like an arena Small Town. And that led to to Stone getting on the mic and saying, "Well, you knew I'd have to sing one at some point. It's my bad too. I gotta sing. Let's see how it goes." dynamite version of mankind i I think they absolutely slaughtered that um you know from reading the retrospects on it 
uh, it seemed like there were a lot of people in the crowd that this this sort of took them out because they didn't know it. But if it did, then the next two are going to get them right back in it because you finish off the first encore with Last Kiss and Porch and what better ways to do it. And even Last Kiss felt like it was more of a rock and roll uh, arena rock style than it usually is with, you know, the clapping and stuff like that. It felt like the, oh, we're more, you know, generated towards, I guess, the rock and roll energy than the crooner energy that we saw earlier with uh, the Elvis cover. You know, they were, they were after Crown of Thorns, you know, they could have easily had a letdown. But I think, you know, going into black was a good choice. Kano falling in love, you know, you're you're kind of you're going again. You're kind of lightening the mood a little bit. You you have to after something after those two songs, and then you know, small town. We talked about the big you know the big rock ending in the version. Then you let Stone sing. That's always a kind of a, a unique thing, kind of a a fun thing. And then yeah, it just felt like the the attitude totally changed in the in the encore from the main set, and they would they deliberately tried to to lighten the mood a little bit here at the end of the uh the encore for sure and how many times are you going to get last kiss into porch where it's like this you know this poppy you know 50s crooner song and then into one two three four what the fuck is this world like that that's that's such a perfect pearl jam way to end a set and really bring the party atmosphere back and from porch on it's just a complete celebration of the band and the love for them and the love for music and the love for being there because when i'm thinking you know porch he's got some improv i don't exactly know what he's saying in that improv section uh but it's just it's embellishing more of the importance of the night but even for baba i'm sort of thinking to myself that when and i'm trying to put myself in ed's mind when he's up there with the tambourine and he's listening to the crowd you know chant back to him one of the songs that is the reason why he's on that stage like if that were me and i were a star right now and we were doing our cover of alive and you know people were chanting like i'm still alive at me i would just I would be, as John likes to say, a complete puddle on the ground. Like, that is everybody celebrating what you love about music and showing that what you love is also what everybody else adores about rock and roll and about music. And it's a celebration that everybody can join in on together. Yeah, Porch is phenomenal ed's not playing guitar on it which i don't know if if it was just i I can't remember during this period if he i mean whenever he does play guitar guitar it's just just the intro and then he can he gives it back up at least yeah until they get to the the solo because then he'll run around and stuff like that oh and mike transposing the chords of the thing at the end was really cool like he was playing the same notes but like he he played them in like on different places on the fretboard so it was like instead of the main riff Mm -hmm. it was like it was the same notes but it was like it went up and down in different places it was it was really cool
and and going into Baba uh, or coming back for the final encore with it, it just sort of like okay, we're partying now. This is we're we're wrapping up. The balloons are still being kind of batted around too, like you know mm-hmm. it, that that goes like you know to to know that the, the that it, this on this whole encore started with balloons and kind of had that middle section where nobody even touched the balloons and, or even thought about it until porch came back and they're like, okay, now we can party again. Now our spirits can be lifted again and feel like we can celebrate this. Uh, you know, I think that that's another interesting little aspect to throw in there. And, and of course, you know, they're not doing a live at the time. So your bread and butter is a cover into Ledbetter to finish it out. And Ledbetter sounds fantastic brilliant um it's just a fitting end to a night that will always be talked about and in general will always be talked about for one reason but then when you get to talking like we do it's talked about for so many more so you know last last kind of thoughts on how they closed this one out and you know 28 songs from six albums and uh uh, I won't reveal how many shows it was, but I'll give you guys a chance to guess in just a second. Not you guys, but the other guys, the other ones that are listening to me talk right now. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> just your thoughts on just how it, how it all closed out. N- normally, I'm not a fan of Yellow Led Better. I mean, the first couple of times I saw it, I was like, oh, this is cool. And now it's kind of like, oh, it's the way they're going to end it or something like that. But I think this version, you know, I think just because of, of the night and the um, the significance of it, um, Mike just going to town on it. Um, and also Stone has this uh, cool little picking thing that he's that he's doing in it towards the end, which I, I, I don't know if I've ever heard him play it that way before just kind of nit, 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 nit. um would kind of uh uh drew my attention as well it's like oh hey this is a pretty good version and and what's he say he's like oh be lucky out there or something like that at the end as well a be be lucky you know, i think yeah. he says it's, yeah yeah it's it's uh you know it's a it's a show i'll never forget uh, oh wait, I didn't write anything about the show to, uh, to specifically remember. But you know, listening listening to it again, and and yeah, there's a vi- there's uh, there's a not too well recorded video version of it, but they you know pair that up with the uh, with the official bootleg and kind of watching that, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, just the, just the feeling of that, even if I wasn't able to appreciate it, um, like. Like I wish I could have, like I like, like I would have now. Um, there, you know, it was a real special, you know, night. Uh, you know, being sharing this with with Pearl Jam, and, and and none of us would have been there, you know, without them either. So yeah, and we wouldn't be sitting here as three people that every week bust our asses to to talk about them and to find unique little things. Uh, that we love about them to share with with lots of people uh, if it aren't for these moments and uh, yeah other moments that just that just absolutely we, we we've cherished for so many years and it's, it, that that can't be written written off 
at all like we we do this because uh, because these these moments deserve their uh, they deserve to be preserved and uh, and to be recognized, remembered, uh, especially by the people that that do remember them, Brandon. Uh, but also that you know <laughs> we can keep this on the internet for years and years and years, hopefully long until after the band has has you know finished their uh, their career, and for the younger fans and for the people that are currently in their forties who would then be in their sixties and seventies could go back and listen to this and be like, Oh yeah, all of that stuff happened. And that was part of my life that I absolutely loved. Even if, you know, there were some shitty parts about life, you can always go back to, to Pearl Jam and say like they did make some of the miserable moments feel like I was on the, you know, cloud nine or the best plane on earth. And we're still alive. We are. We are. All right. Let's, uh, before I'm going to, I'm just going to throw this out there. So we're going to give three songs here that are songs that we liked. They can be like four, four, three, two, and then we'll give like our final thought on Crown of Thorns and maybe just like the reason why we think it's it's special and, and stands the test of time. So why don't we do that? I'm going to let uh, I'm going to say I'll go first and then I'll give it to John and then Brandon can go Then Brandon can kind of finish up. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that my number four is can't help falling in love because you know it just even when i've heard this version before i don't think i i've like listened to it to sort of study it and recognize what they were doing and recognize that it's like a really really well done elvis cover so i appreciate that they turned you know an ototo type song into one that is preserved as, as a fan club single that they respected a lot. Um, I'll also say this rearview mirror was fantastic and this breaker fall was really fantastic. And, uh, you know, the other great moment, like untitled and MF- MFC was really good. Dissident was really good. Uh, hard to pick just three of those. There are so many that, that really pop out. I, I'm gonna, because it's the era, I'm going to say Break or Fall is part of that. And I'm also going to say that, uh, you know, one of the three or the two will be uh, this version of Rearview Mirror. And then for my moment of Crown of Thorns, the moment that I take out of it the most is that, you know, just sort of mimicking what we said from before, that it's kind of the moment that really bonded the two entities that bonded the the two bands and made them feel like there was a connection beyond just a band that stone and Jeff were in Pearl jam and mother love bone became one. That's I, I think my, my favorite aspect of this version. Right on. Um, yeah, as far as, as moments either, I'm going to call these my honorable mentions because however many moments you give me, I'm always going to pick crown of thorns. So these are just honorable mentions. I'm going to go dissident, uh, rear view mirror and black, 
those were uh, some that, that stuck out to me in addition. Like, again, we talked about black is the only thing I think that can follow up Crown of Thorns. But, um, yeah, for Crown of Thorns, I mean, I, I remember being, God, I was probably 15 when that Rolling Stone article came out. And I remember, you know, going to the library at school and reading it and reading that line where Ed talks about, oh, you know, there's there's one Mother Love Bone song I'd like to play. You know, I'm not going to say what it is, but, you know, maybe someday you just kind of file that away. And like, I think by, by 2000, you know, we'd all kind of forgotten about that. But yeah, like for him to, to go back to that, to have that in his back pocket for, for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years just goes to show like his, his reverence for this band and like his, the relationships and like, a lot of bands come and go and like they break up because of personality disputes or this person doesn't like this person, this person, like whatever, you know, th- things happen, bands break up all the time. But this really showed, I think that they were in it for the long haul and like they knew they, they had something special and they weren't going to let something, something petty or something like that break them up. Like they were going to see this through and, and be in it for the long haul. And again, it's, it's it's a thank you to the fans it's a thank you to jeff and stone it's it just i think it just cemented their their relationship as a band and at a a time when they really needed it as a as a sort of honorable mention to the honorable mentions i really liked um ed's sort of speech where he's talking about the mama song tape and sort of you know i guess the joke about him uh about uh jeff and stone uh noticing great talent when they see it or whatever but that that sort of acknowledgement, you know, it, it's it. This is all a sort of celebration and history lesson of Pearl Jam in this show, and sort of, you know, hearing Ed tell the sort of origin story of the band is what appeals to me in my being a real sort of a literary-ish sci-fi fantasy comic book geek sort of thing. It's like oh, hearing huge mythic stories and you know this band has a huge mythic origin story to it so it kind of puts it in a in a in a different place for 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 me for for all of us listening really but i I mean that's specifically what what sort of um drew me in about this band to sort of give them a give them a little bit of a, a a deeper sort of listen and appreciation of uh, as far as the songs go, um, Interstellar Overdrive, hearing that for the first time and kind of uh, seeing how it's it's sort of paired itself up with uh, with Corduroy over the years and it's kind of just being shocked by, you know, this is the first time hearing it and this, this is the first song and of the set. So that, was, that, that really uh, struck me. Uh, MFC is one of my favorite songs. So, um, you know, that, that was a real good uh, moment for me in this set and uh in uh, you can listen to uh, the better band podcast next week and i'll be talking hey, with john about it oh my god yeah. really <laughs> you guys are gonna be in back-to-back weeks that you're gonna be on podcast together i mean that's not saying much john and i are on back-to-back weeks all right. the time but and uh the porch um especially the the bridge and the spaciness for it um you know they they a lot of times during the jams and stuff like that, they'll kind of huddle together and kind of play to each other and stuff. And, you know, even though Mike was off doing his own, you know, solos and stuff like that, you know, everybody came together or everybody else came together around, um, around Matt and, you know, it kind of felt a little more special just because this was 
the 10th anniversary and, you know, and Matt was on the demo with them and Matt did Temple of the Dog with them. And it's kind of just like a full circle sort of real energy there. And, um, and Crown of Thorns is, yeah, I mean, the people who knew what it was, which was, you know, a lot of us there sort of are, we're all just sort of like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, and we all knew that this was, you know, a moment that's going to be talked about throughout Pearl Jam history. This is, you know, this was the show. This was when they did Crown of Thorns for the first time. And it's kind of like, oh, and we're all here for this. We're all here witnessing history. And, and the fact that, um, I don't know that Pearl Jam's still around and, you know, even if we can't see them live or whatever, we know they're out there and they're making music and, you know, we're all, we're all still here. And, you know, who's, who's to say there won't be more, uh, sort of all, we're all here, you know, moments for it. Who knows what, uh, what PJ 30 is going to hold for us in next year, two years, whenever it really happens. That's uh, it's all TBA, and I'm I'm sure that they probably had some sort of plan. They were going to do some October shows this year, and uh, you know to to hit some key battleground states, and uh, you know unfortunately that didn't happen. We'll never know what would have happened on October twenty second, uh, two thousand and twenty, except for uh, they are are streaming Tenadelphia, so that's at least something that you'll get if you want your Pearl Jam fix on the day of, of their anniversary. So, um, okay, let's rate. I want John to go first because I, I, I'm curious as to if he will go the double digits on this, and I, I think he probably is, so I, I want to see if he is, so please share. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, this is... okay. I'm 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 not going to I'm not going to build up any suspense. Yeah. This is this is one of the top 20 25 shows in their history. I mean, it's it's just such a such a special moment, such an iconic moment in in their career and how, yeah, how can it not be 10 out of 10? Yeah, I I've uh you know, in the past I've hiccuped on shows that really deserved to be part of the upper echelon in Pearl Jam's history. And, uh, at some point we'll, we'll go back to those and we'll get a, uh, a redo on some ratings there. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't think we'll need a redo on this. I think I'm, I, and even if this wasn't an anniversary show, this is a great show. You can just listen to this and, and just feel all the songs burst from the seams. So, uh, 10 out of 10 easily. Like I was saying in the beginning, you know, I wish I appreciated this, a whole lot more at the time, you know, I wish I could have felt as much joy and appreciation that, you know, I should have at the time, because this is a great concert. And this is, you know, this is one of their ape man shows from their, uh, uh, from their bootlegs and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I was there. And so it, it's, it's of course, you know, a 10 out of 10, but you know, kind of the way I felt at the time, you know, it wasn't, but you know, I, I say screw it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it today. And, you know, and, you know, be, be, being there brought me, uh, brought me here to this, uh, this podcast and talking to you guys. Well, look, I think for most fans, they would look back on this and at least for the crown of thorns moment and see it as, as such an important vital part of, you know, the, the history 
of them going forward. There's a reason why this is heavily uh, involved on the PJ20 documentary and uh, why this is on the soundtrack as well, because uh, it's all about history and it's all about retelling that side of history and that's that's what we strive to do at least that's my favorite part about this show is trying to uh to preserve those moments and uh you know let's let's officially say goodbye then and thank brandon and let him get a minute to really uh sufficiently promote his podcast the better band podcast that you all should be listening to because it's about again preserving these moments for the band and celebrating their history and what brandon does going album by album and dedicating us every episode to a new song off of the album sometimes in sequential order sometimes not but that's okay that's his style <laughs> that's his style you don't have to go in episode order all the time uh and and you know i, I have so much respect for that and for all the people that do the extracurricular Pearl Jam things from, you know, making merch to, uh, like, you know, coming up with fan pages, uh, on Instagram or, or Twitter or even just, you know, sharing their favorite moments as, as a fan and not like being a figurehead, so to speak, of the community. Like, I, you know, I just want to share my appreciation with everybody there. But, but Brandon, please do tell about the Better Band podcast before I go any further. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, I go through um, all the Pearl Jam songs they've released, and I talk to different people about uh, what they think about it. So that podcast can't uh, can't exist without guests which is why sometimes i have to go out of order of the songs because i don't have a guest and that's I my need fault. to push it off that's my fault <laughs> that i have to go on first every single time and it's in my contract <laughs> that's not your fault it's you know it's so if if there's songs out there you like from pearl jam from the albums after uh yield that you want to talk about you can uh get at me at better band pod that's on, uh, you know, you can Gmail that, Instagram, Twitter, betterbandpod.com even. You can find the, uh, the episodes there and listen to all of them or just find the songs you like and listen to those episodes. And, of course, you have to listen to all of Randy's and John's episodes. Of course. And John has, like, the more unique and and obscure songs to his name like olympic platinum oh yeah and, the, the uh, real reason you you can't find guests for some of these is because i'm only limiting myself to two per season like i would come on and do all of them <laughs> if you would let me yeah, yeah yeah he's 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 uh slowly trying to poison me so he can take over yeah. and uh <laughs> okay so that that is it for the 30th anniversary and i'm i hope that you spend this entire week and the entire day uh, just, you know, fulfilling your life with Pearl Jam and, and you know, uh, uh, taking it in and enjoying the 30th year of the band officially. Uh, and again, for those of you that want to head over to Patreon and listen to our off-ramp episode, it'll be up tomorrow on the anniversary date. We can't wait to get that to you guys because it's going to be it's going to be something else. So uh, and next week we are going to be back with more political Pearl Jam. We are going to do Nassau Coliseum. That should be fun. That should be exciting. I got lots of takes on that. 
I think we all do. So uh, we'll be back for that one next week. And then uh, we're getting real close to the election. So we'll we'll do something for the election as well. Uh, but thanks again to Brandon. Thanks again to John. Thanks again to you, everybody that listens in. Uh, you guys are terrific people. And uh, thanks for being a part of the community and being passionate about this. So let's wrap it up. This may be the end. We are here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. And I miss you always for Vegas 2000 and uh this is my kind of love it's the kind of moves on we will see you next week be lucky at this moment just share with all of you how much uh uh personally and i think i can speak for the other two that are are with me on on this that uh Personally, I, I just want to share how much I love this band and uh, for, you know, this is really for me, probably more like Pearl Jam 22, because 98 was really the year that uh, that I started to recognize and feel their presence in my life. But, um, you know, and, and it grew and it really 2006 was was really when I, I figured out that. I, I'm a lifer with this. That I, I'm really I'm more than just a fan on this. This is this is my life. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that anything about this band just makes me completely and utterly happy and excited to talk about it. And and I think it's just an honor and a privilege to just you know take two guys that are from different ends of the spectrum, ends of of the country here. And to have this one common thing uh, and goal for all of us to, to be here as basically lifelong fans is, uh, is so important. And I'm just thankful that, uh, that I'm able to have met the two of you through Pearl Jam and have connected on those levels. So from the bottom of my heart and for everybody else that's listening in too, like, you know, pretty much everybody that listens in that communicates with us like there's uh i've i've found a level of respect and uh and um common ground with with pearl jam with all of you so you know sincerely uh thank you to everybody for just your enthusiasm and passion about the band yeah they're okay Thanks a lot. Thanks again. Be lucky, as Roger would say. Good luck. Goodbye. Good night.